Ladies and gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. you are now listening to the P13 Podcast. Welcome back to the P13 Podcast. Another day, another pod, again. Hopefully, this is Tuesday when you're listening to this, but any day of the week, that's okay as well. We have more podcasts, more informational podcasts on the fitness and health industry. So if you do want to listen back to our previous podcasts, we have stuff on mobility. We have stuff on the mental side, some of the physical side. We even have a few guests on here. So listen back. Maybe you learn a few things and you can apply it to yourself on your own fitness journey. Again, you can also leave us a line on our Instagram at Project13Gyms. Leave us a question. Leave us maybe a note or something that may have helped you from listening to this podcast. You are more than welcome to type into those comments. You'll always see a little clip of our recordings in here. Hopefully that tells a nice story for you to listen to and you can just leave your lines there. But today, another day, another pod. I would like to also introduce the person sitting next to me. We're switching it up a little bit here. We're going to go with the James Earl Jones-like voice of... Did that sound like Darth Vader? That that, that kind of did. A little bit? That kind of did. If You You know know, he was Darth Vader. Yes, you have to know that one. Fun Star Wars fact. But that is the one and only Mr. Thomas Conway. Hello. The Dadalorian. The Some say it is so. The informational Han Solo. Potentially the Yoda of fitness? No, I'm not that okay. smart. Fair. <laughs> I was trying to keep the, the references going. Yeah. Would you consider the Jim the Millennium Falcon if that's the case? Or the Death Star? Ooh, I like that. Millennium Falcon. I'm not Darth Vader. Fair enough. I'm a little too chipper to be Darth Vader. Yeah. You're more of an Obi-Wan or a Luke. Mm, no, I don't know. Or no, well, we said Han Solo already. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Fair enough. Question I have for you. Yes. Are those prescription glasses? These are prescription glasses. Really? I Wait, so do you wear contacts? I do wear contacts. Oh. I am out of contacts at the moment. Got it. And so for those who've seen me in the gym lately, I've been wearing glasses. Yeah. Yes, they are prescription What's your eyesight like? What's it rated? Uh, the correct terminology. I think so. I don't like. It's not twenty twenty for sure because I'm wearing glasses. Obviously, um, don't they but, do it like by a minus scale? As yes, well? my left is minus one point seven five, and my right is minus one point eight. So not terrible. Not terrible, but I have astigmatism mm. in both eyes. Actually, it's very light because it like there's sometimes I'll go get it checked out and it'll be totally fine on one eye. And it's funny because it wavers on both sides. So an astigmatism, does that impact how the light goes into your eye? Uh, like in, what do you what do you experience with an astigmatism? In layman terms, it's hard for my eyes to focus if I take these off. So if I take these off right now, that's blurry. And if I squint... I can start to get a clear image of that, mm. of the ticker the numbers, timing. Yeah. yeah. But if I'm just like not paying attention to it, they get fuzzy and then they focus and then they go out of focus from time Interesting. to time. Interesting. So. Yeah. I just wasn't sure if it was just like a fashion statement. I have grown to be fashionable with my glasses. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, How many pairs do you have? 
I have five. Okay. Less yeah. than shoes. Less, a lot less than shoes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, that's a whole nother, that's yeah. a whole nother ordeal. But yes, we'll I do, do it. We'll do a shoe podcast episode once with Cal where he goes through each pair. <laughs> Talks about what what they are, a what lot they of retailed them, at, what they resell for. Oh yeah, a lot of them do have a story to it as well too. Mm. I think there's only maybe like a few pairs that don't. Where I'm just like, yeah, I'm just those are kind of cool. Yeah, um, but a lot of them do have a story. Uh, if for those who do know the sneaker, it's an Adidas Form High, and it's in blue and orange, and that was the sneaker that got me into sneaker collecting and fashion Ooh, and other, all wow. these other things. Wow. I wore a origin story. My foot was a size 11 and my mom bought it for me in a size 12. And I was like wearing them all around the playground. This is like middle school. And then I thought it'd be really cool to play basketball in them. And I just tore them up. Uh Oh, do you still have them? I still, well, the original pair it's, I tried painting them like Interesting. with that. You know how you can get like black polish shoe polish. Yeah. You can get white shoe polish. Oh, but you said these were blue and orange. Blue, orange, and white. Well, the main color was white, but oh, it had I blue see. and orange accents. Got it. Uh, but I painted them. I tried cleaning them with like uh, toothpaste, and they just got thrashed. Okay. So <laughs> Didn't work. No, they're in my parents' garage somewhere. But I found I found another pair, the same exact pair, like uh, when I first came here for college, and I found them for like twenty bucks. When I first bought them, they were ten bucks, wow. and then wow. I found them again for twenty. And then they've only ever since raised in price as they've done in some re-releases. I think they've gotten up to like 200 now. That's a pretty My, big appreciation yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if you play your cards right, you can have a, a shoe that appreciates very well. I have one pair that's appreciating in value, but that's for another another time. <laughs> <It's> for <laughs> we'll another table start. that. We'll table that. But how are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Excited. Excited for the pod. This is going to be a good topic. This is going to be a good topic. Yeah. I like this topic yeah. a lot only because it's very, how would you say, very applicable to everybody. It's definitely relevant. Yeah, definitely relevant. We we uh, hear about it a lot. Shout out to Esme, first of all. for up, Esme? You get the first, this is a first shout out for you on this one. Yeah, I think it is. Oh, we love shout outs. Oh, yeah. Um, but much appreciated on the idea for this podcast coming up here that we're talking about. And yeah, so that that's the origin of this original podcast. How do you feel about it? Feel good. <laughs> Without any further adieu, as they say, is that French? Yes? Question mark. I'm Ron. Burgundy. You're Canadian. You should know. I'm that. Canadian. That's true. This is yeah. I hope I didn't lose my Canada card over <laughs> that one. But who? There's a lot of things that may have. I've already probably lost my Canadian card for, <laughs> like wearing jackets while I'm in California. But yeah. that's a whole other story. Not not getting your uh, annual maple syrup quota in. Ooh, hey, mm. I gotta lay off the pancakes a little bit. Not not having eaten poutine for a certain amount. Of I time. have not had a poutine in a while. Fair play. Yes. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. That's okay. They're not gonna take you back. That's okay. Well, I still know the wild rose. That is the flower of Edmonton, Alberta, Ooh. or flower of Alberta, I should say. Oh, I don't even know they have flowers up there. They do. Yeah. <laughs> when the snow <laughs> when the when the snow melts. Uh. But anyways, today, like we were saying, we explore a topic that many of us have experienced in some form of physical activity, whether it be working out, doing chores around the house, and maybe doing some recreational activities such as hiking or skiing or spelunking. Would you get that spelunking maybe? I don't know what that is. Is that diving? 
no. Or I'm not sure. Anyways, I've recreational heard it activities. <laughs> What's the topic you ask? The topic is soreness, muscle soreness to be more specific. That's right. The thing that happens after you have had your fun. It is also known as delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS as a very popular term. It is a pain in the ass to deal with. And sometimes you will have experienced literally, literally, uh, you all may have experienced this at some point in your life, just from being active. Maybe you went for a run or you chased down your kid at the grocery store. Maybe your hamstrings feel a little sore later after that one. Um, sometimes it's short lived, but sometimes it will take a few days for it to subside. What is soreness? How does it differ from injury? What can I do about muscle soreness? Don't worry. We're here to talk about it, aren't we, Mr. Conway? Mr. We James sure Earl are. Jones, informational Han Solo Conway. We sure are. Yes. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> uh, that was kind of a James Earl Jones impression. That was pretty good. I don't think it was very good. That was pretty close. I mean, it's tough. He's got a very unique voice. It is. Um, very much made for the movies. So what is soreness? What is the cause of soreness? That's what we'll start with. We'll talk about some misconceptions maybe down the line. Um, but according to the most up-to-date research... Soreness and DOMS, which we'll kind of use those terms interchangeably when we talk about soreness, we'll, we'll mostly be referring to DOMS, is actually a type 1 muscle strain. I'm sure people have heard plenty of times what's, what a lot of people think soreness is, but yeah, it's a type muscle strain or type 1 muscle strain. And so it's essentially a form of damage that occurs in the muscle. And it's interesting, you can find images of you know, microscopic images of this online, a side-by-side comparison of a muscle post-training and a muscle that is the control, which is, you know, a muscle that's like the, that individual who that muscle belongs to hadn't trained for some period of time before they took the, mm-hmm. the picture. But you get them newbie gains when you haven't trained. Yeah, you do. And we'll talk more about that too. But so that damage is, you know, muscle strain, but it's nothing serious. As we've all experienced, when we do get really sore, we do get better, right? It's not like you're sore forever. And that process is also important because that damage is how we grow because the damage occurs and the body will work to repair the damage by laying down new tissue, which is then what makes the muscle bigger and what makes the muscle stronger. So it's it's a normal part of the process. I was just going to add one thing here, and it's, this is something we're probably going to get into deeper a little bit here in the podcast as well, is when we're talking about the muscle damage, we also talked about listening to your body, correct, when you're training. Yes. And normally when I feel sore, like my I don't want to move that muscle. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's something that will... Should we talk about that now? No, we can talk. We'll talk about it later. We'll that is something, yeah, that you have to think about. And and uh, I know that anecdotally, I've had my experiences with like training when sore. And I think there's varying degrees of soreness, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're incredibly sore, like, yeah, maybe you want to adjust your training program based on how you feel. And mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about training based on how you feel and making decisions based on how you feel. So this does like 
factor into that equation as well. Gotcha. And I think it might be pretty valuable here to talk about what's happening physiologically, right? That is a tough word. (laughs) Physiologically. (laughs) So, yeah, as we mentioned above, part of the physiology is that muscle damage. And then there's also some research that suggests that hydrogen ions and reactive oxygen species can contribute to DOMS as well. So there's also, while there is some structural change that occurs, uh, you know, again, that being that muscle damage, there is also like some metabolic changes that will happen in the muscle. And that's, that's some of what that is, is the, you know, there's usually an increase in acidity in the muscle when you train. And that's what those hydrogen ions are doing. They're making the muscle more acidic. And that also is very important for growth. Uh, basically, when that happens, what you feel is that burning in the muscle. You know, one thing we do in the gym sometimes on our upper days is like banded, one of the best things for this, <laughs> banded bicep curls and banded tricep extensions. Yes. And you just do a super high volume. And like the goal of doing that when you're doing those movements is to just go until you get like a severe burning in the muscle mm. and even push through it a little bit that is going to create that that yeah that burning sensation and that's what's happening is there's an increase in hydrogen ions in the muscle uh, and it's making the muscle more acidic but that acidity is important for getting the muscle to grow as well then there's also uh, cellular swelling that occurs so your muscle cells will actually swell up and that allows for that allows certain fluids into the cell and that causes uh, edema, which is fluid retention, and that's what the pump is, right? The so pump. we've all we've all been there chasing the pump, right? Like Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is what that is, right? The cells are actually swelling, and there's fluid going into those cells, and that can last up to 48 hours, roughly. So those are some other like more metabolic factors that can lead to metabolical or or metabolic or chemical factors, I guess you could think of that can contribute to soreness as well. Remember though, primarily it is that type one muscle strain Ah. that you feel. So with that cellular swelling, you're saying if I do bicep curls before going to the beach, it's a good thing to do. Good thing to do. Good thing to do. Yep. (laughs) Then you show up, sun's out, guns out, turn a couple heads, call it a day. (laughs) So, you know, there's a difference between uh, there's, there's kind of a, a chain of, uh, connectedness that occurs. There's the, there's the strain in the muscle that occurs. There's the chemical and metabolic changes that occur, but then what allows us to actually sense that and have the signal travel to our brain. And this is kind of related to, we've talked about pain in the past is the nociceptors. So we mentioned in a previous episode, nociceptors and what they are. But basically, they are, they are receptors, and they're all over the body, right? They're all over the body. They're, on, they're in the skin. They're in muscle. They're in tendons. They're in everything. And, it's, and they are they're receptors that allow you to sense pain, mm. right? So when you put your finger on a hot stove, what sends a signal from your finger to your brain is a nociceptor. So those also play a part in this muscle soreness situation. Those can sense chemical and metabolic damage and then send signals to the brain that inflammation is occurring, right? And Mm. 
And that's kind of what is also happening, right? Like that's why you get that, that edema. That's, there's a little bit of inflammation going on in the body as well from training. Like that's what we have to remember, right? We talked about in our recovery episode previously that training is actually creating damage in the body, but it's that stimulus and that stress that creates a stress response. And the stress response is getting stronger, getting more muscle, getting bigger, making all the that gains. stuff, making the gains, making the gains. Yep. In there. Yeah. This leads into an, our next topic with the misconceptions. You talked about the increase in acidity in acidity in the muscles acidity. when training. There's a lot of, a lot of tough words today, but yeah. I, I know one idea that I don't know where it came out from, but when you're starting to fatigue is the, concept of lactate buildup when you're working out yeah so lactate is a very real thing for sure uh, but i think people misunderstand what it does so lactate in exercise where you where you experience it it is uh you know well the one minute all-out bike yes right you do a one minute all-out bike there is going to be a lot of things happening, but one of them is uh, lactate production. Yep. Right. And uh, lactate is something that can be used as fuel by the body and by the brain. But it also, if your body cannot essentially recycle it efficiently, then it can, it, it's kind of what leads to the, the failure in that one minute all out bike, right? Where you get to the point where you just, you're pumping your arms and your legs and you just can't seem to get any more energy it's because your body is not recycling lactate enough. Um, so there's like an excess buildup in the muscles, uh, which then forces you to have to like go slower. Yeah. But in terms of soreness, there is no research that supports that that soreness that you feel, you know, the next day or uh, two days later or whatever. There's no research to suggest that lactate is actually the culprit. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is more well-known now that it is that type one muscle strain. So that's common mis misconception, number one. Yeah. And lactate is always getting, it's always getting flushed out as it's getting built up. That's the goal of the body. Yeah, that's the goal, right. So yeah, you can, you know, and we've done lactate training before in the gym, lactate threshold training that is, you know, so the idea is over time, you build the ability to uh, kind of prolong the onset of that sensation of, burning and your legs kind of like seizing up and not being able to push any harder. Right. So maybe at the beginning of six weeks of training, you can, you can go 15 seconds before you start to feel that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you do a six week training phase that's focused on building or improving your lactate threshold. And, you know, then maybe you can go 30 seconds, right. Before you really start to feel that buildup of lactate in mm -hmm. your legs. Uh, and actually I think more so what it is, is it's like lactate increasing in concentration in the blood. Yep. I don't know if we've talked about the Wingate test. Briefly, I think we've talked about it a couple of times, but not, nothing in super detail here. Yeah, so, but I think you and I have, right? We've yeah, both me done and you one. have so, had, we've yeah. both been subjects of a Wingate test. Yeah, the Wingate test is you do a 30 minute, or not 30 <sighs> minute, 30 second <laughs> all impressive. out bike where weight is dropped. You basically get the bike pedaling as fast as you can with no resistance. And then there's weight attached to a pulley that once you get the bike up to speed as fast as you possibly can, someone pulls a lever and it drops the weight, which then 
tightens a band that is around the wheel. Yep. And then you keep pedaling for 30 seconds and inevitably you're going to get slower, yeah. right? But so what we often do during that test is you test pre and post lactate. And after that 30 seconds, when you, and you test that via blood, so you do a little finger prick and you put it on a lactate testing strip. And yeah, what you'll see is lactate is like significantly increased mm -hmm. after that 30 seconds, right? And you can feel it too. Like you feel like you might throw up after just 30 or pass seconds out. or pass out. Yeah. And you get it like all white and stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy test. It's funny. What other misconceptions do you find when it comes to soreness? So soreness does not necessarily indicate quality of a workout, right? right. What it more so indicates related to a workout is just like what you did. So yeah. we'll touch more on this later in the episode, but specific methods of training and modalities of training will lead to more soreness than others. Mm -hmm. Additionally, when you, when you take on new training, whether that be new movements that you haven't trained in a while, or whether you took time off from training and then got back into training, that will also lead to a significant amount of soreness, mm -hmm. right? So, but it, again, it doesn't mean that like that was a really, really good workout, right? So a lot of times it's just like, you just did a bunch of shit that you like haven't done in a while. <laughs> You're chasing a high. Yep. That does not mean that you should fully rest until it's gone. That's another ah. misconception. Some people are like, I'm sore, so I should just sit around. No, no, no. No, no, no. Similar to what we've talked about in the past a little bit here with rest and recovery, being active is yep. one of your best friends. One of your best friends, if not your best friend. It's my best friend. It's my best I friend. I actually have a lot of best friends. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Too. You're my best friend. Too. Was, yeah. Damn it. You beat me to a um, punch. Yes. Got it. Uh, then the last one, I'm sore. So I should foam roll and stretch the soreness away. This is kind of an interesting misconception because you can totally do that. That's fine. And there's nothing wrong with it. But uh, the reason this is under misconceptions is that should not be the only time that you stretch or mm -hmm. do soft tissue work, right? So I think that's the misconception is that that's what those modalities are for. And in reality, no, like you should, you know, if soft tissue work is, is a practice that you like to incorporate, you should do that as part of your regular program regardless of, of if you're sore or not. Same thing with stretching, right? You should have regular stretching incorporated into your program and not only incorporate that when you're really sore, mm -hmm. right? It'd be um, a daily thing. Yeah, you know, just like there, there's a number of different ways you can build it into your program. It should not be just used as a tool to help that. Additionally, the research was, is kind of mixed on if that really helps or not. Right. Like yeah. I think with foam rolling and self myofascial release, again, it's, it's more mixed with that than it is for stretching. I don't know if there's a lot of research on stretching for, for soreness alleviation, but what it could be doing is impacting those nociceptors temporarily. Yeah. Uh, but it's likely that if you're experiencing significant, significant DOMS, like, and you do some soft tissue work, one, I don't think you'll be able to do it very effectively yeah. because you're just going to be so sensitive in that area. And then two, it might pro provide you with temporary relief, but like you're still probably going to be sore, especially if you're 24 hours post-workout and you're like pretty sore. That's one thing I meant to mention at the beginning of like what is soreness. It, it usually the onset of it after workout is typically eight hours mm. and then it peaks 
48 to 72 hours later. So that's why we often hear, and I'm sure you've often experienced that, you know, some people will be like, they come in after workout the next day and they're like, man, I'm sore today. And they're like, it's going to be worse tomorrow. Oh yeah. And it definitely (laughs) usually, like it usually is. And that's normal. That's, that's kind of the normal cycle of, of these doms. You have the issue where you can't sit down and it makes for a terrible day. I was going to say morning, but it depends on when you're waking up. Yeah, it does make for a terrible day. It (laughs) it can, it certainly can. But this actually is kind of brings in another interesting point of how do you define soreness versus an injury, right? And typically if you're injured, you'll know, right? It's a good indicator or barometer is like, if you do bicep curls and you're sore on both biceps equally, you're probably fine. Yeah. Right. As opposed to if you do bicep curls and your left is like screaming the next day, especially near like the tendon or something, it's possible you got some bicep tendonitis going on, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe you lose full contraction of your, or you lose some function in your hand yeah. due to that. Injury. Right, yeah. So there's, I think there's pretty significant markers for like injury that, that again, you would know if you are, but you know, it's kind of interesting because recently, as I've as I've continued to practice jujitsu, there are times where like my my core muscles get really sore mm-hmm. to the point where, for example, recently I had this thing where my, one of my lower back ribs seems to be really tender, and I don't know if it's because it's just sore because of all the positions I get put into, or if it's like or from someone sitting on you. Yeah, or like actually taking a hit there and not knowing it because, you know, a lot of times you don't know until afterwards. But I think you can you can just continue to monitor things. And the other indicator, I think, would be, is it getting better with time? Yeah. You know, that's a big one. So, again, DOMS will peak 48 to 72 hours after a workout. So if you get past 72 hours and, like, your shoulder or something is still nagging you, I would be just attentive to it and be like, okay, maybe I should do some self-assessment stuff, like figure out what this is, uh, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Don't get into the deep, don't get too deep into WebMD right away. Not too deep, just in the shallow end. Just in the shallow end. Three feet. (laughs) And that's a good, I I think, to to keep in mind, especially with soreness. And you, you touched on it just a moment ago with, does being sore necessarily indicate the quality of your workout and you said no right yeah so again it's what the what the research shows is that the most common cause of soreness is new stimulus mm-hmm. right and so what you'll often hear from people is the the individuals that are very well trained you know they've been their training age is like seven to ten years plus um, they train frequently. You'll often hear from people like that that they really don't get that sore. Yeah. And especially if they're training or working on things that are generally like consistently similar. So say, for example, squat, deadlift, bench press, just to make it easy. You know, if it's someone that's been training that for five to seven years, uh, they're probably not getting that sore from their training sessions. In, unless they do, you know, transition to a new you know, maybe they rotate their training every eight weeks. And so when they make that rotation and 
adjust whatever it may be. Maybe it's like strength uh, reps to a hypertrophy rep. Yeah, range. load or volume, and they might experience soreness then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best indicator of a good workout is if you are getting stronger. And this is where metrics and tracking your training is very important. I'm talking to all you P13ers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we might have a special surprise down the road there. For yeah, you to help a you couple out. weeks. We're gonna we're gonna implement a new way of tracking tracking your weights and stuff like that. So that'll be exciting. But um, yeah, so that is going to be the best indicator. Are you able to continue to progressively overload? Right, because if you're not, then you might want to adjust something in your training. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely not definitely not soreness. Right, I can make I can make anybody sore. Oh yeah, you can just like throw taking feet. them through a session. Yeah, hundred burpees that will get you. Hundred burpees for time. Go, go, <laughs> boom, rabdo. Ooh, that's a segue. Segue, but before we get there, leading into that, should I continue to train when I'm sore? I certainly think you can. I think that you do just need to be smart about how you train when you're sore. So, for example, uh, again, the way that our program is structured at at P13. It, it makes it so that you're never really going to be training a sore muscle group unless you're still sore from Monday on a Thursday, which happens. Mm-hmm. But in that case, you would just want to, you know, one, communicate with us, yep. communicate with your coach. Be attentive. Listen to your body response to training. Yep. And then, and then from there, like we could maybe be like, yeah, let's just reduce load and just focus on moving. That's actually going to probably help with the soreness because it's going to be stretching, contracting, and bringing blood into the muscle, which is good. That's going to help with that, some of that chemical, you know, some of the chemical changes in the muscle from soreness, mm-hmm. right? It might kind of like move some of those, I believe they're called metabolites out yep. in, in a little bit more quick timeline. So I certainly think you can, and at the very least you should, you should move and, uh, you know, like walk or, or whatever. In an extreme case, though, here we go. Touched on it. It's rhabdo, well, short form for rhabdomyolysis. That's the scientific term. That is a. I'm surprised I got that on the first try. To be honest, I know that was good. (laughs) Now this is more of like a rare condition, and it's where muscle breakdown just continues, and it can be a life-threatening condition. I know we talked about recovery the last in our last podcast. This is a rare disease where a muscle cell disintegrates and they release a protein called myoglobin into the blood. The kidneys are responsible for removing this myoglobin from the blood. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Uh, So urine can flush it out of the body. However, in this case with rhabdo, in large quantities, myoglobin can damage the kidneys. If the kidneys cannot get rid of the waste fast enough, kidney failure and death can occur which makes rhabdo a very, can be very scary to think of sometimes, especially if you're constantly training without enough recovery or if, say you're jumping into something that is well beyond what your body can handle at the moment, you may be putting yourself at risk. Would you concur? I certainly would concur. I haven't, I haven't seen anybody get rhabdo, but I've more of the places that I've heard of it has been out of the CrossFit community. Mm-hmm. My friend did tell me uh, that he knew of a trainer or something that uh, somehow got roped into doing 100 burpees for time. Oof. And he woke up the next day and had rhabdo. Gosh, 
Yeah. That is intense. Yeah. I don't think we've had anyone at the gym have, which no. is good. Would, no. I mean, it says about. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that our training is going to be likely to induce that. I think the, I think the thing that really can cause it is, well, like you have listed here, jumping into an exercise program too fast and at too high of an intensity. Uh, but beyond that, it's like super high volume in short periods of time. Mm. So I think you can do high volume, but like give yourself time to do it and rest. Yeah. And recover. Yeah. Transitioning from the less serious things, what can you do to reduce soreness? So there's a few things that you can do uh, to reduce soreness. There's some interesting ones that I wasn't fully aware of, but one that I think is pretty well known from a nutrition perspective, uh, having an anti-inflammatory diet, mm -hmm. uh, which it would include things like omega-3 fatty acids, um, but would also would also not include a lot of refined and processed foods. Ah. Those are going to be inflammatory, of course. Uh, so like foods that are high in sugar, uh, artificial sweeteners, like anything that you would find in box packaged food. Uh, then uh, there's also interesting research around caffeine and its impact on soreness. Uh, this one so, kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it surprised me too. Um, but we were we were doing some uh, prep for this uh, episode and came across this. So there was a study uh, in which they, you know, they did a test group and a control group, and they did find that uh, that the test group reported lower levels of soreness compared to the placebo placebo group. And so the test group consumed caffeine, but the dosage that they used was fairly high. So like that would be one thing to consider. But even with that being said, uh, you know, I think even some caffeine would have some impact on your soreness, according to the study. And it's mostly due to caffeine's impact on the central nervous system. Mm. Then there's another amino acid called uh, taurine that has also been found to reduce the impact of soreness as well. So they did a test that, or a study that uh, was over 21 days and found that 50 milligrams of taurine made a positive impact on soreness. But you know, that's like, I don't know. I think the question would be like how repeatable that study is. So then there's various recovery methods. So a couple that stick out, we talked about foam rolling and stretching. At this point, it seems like there's not enough science. So anecdotally, I would say that when I'm sore, if I do foam roll or do some self myofascial release, seems to at least provide temporary relief. Same thing with stretching. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would also say that it does seem to be fairly short lived. Yes. So like I'll do the foam rolling or stretching. It'll kind of go away for a bit. And then as I like, continue to go about my day it kind of comes back mm. and just for context you also do foam rolling and stretching even when you're not sore exactly as well yeah this is so a yeah so i think that's the bigger thing is that maybe that can provide some sort of you could look at it as preventative maintenance mm. so mm. to speak then there's like cryotherapy that a lot of people talk about um, according to what we found there is not enough like science to support that as 
an effective means to reduce soreness. Reduces inflammation, which is good. Yeah. But soreness is a whole other yeah. thing, which is a in- very interesting. <laughs> and I don't have any personal experience with it either. So I think that's the hard thing. I yeah. can't really speak on that. Um, but then in terms of movement, just like move, continue to move. You know, we said earlier that uh, you can continue to train. So, you know, same kind of thing that like you should keep moving. And I personally think one of the best things for soreness is like a, a brisk walk. Oh yeah. Keep it brisk though. Lipton brisk. Remember, br- oh, I was just going to say brisk <laughs> tea. Oh, so good. So yeah. bad, but so good. Yeah. Refined sugars. Yeah. Uh, do I get less sore as I train more? Ah, that rhymes. I, I, and usually, yes, you do. Your uh, training yeah. age matters. Training age matters. Yeah. So you know, I do think there is an element of like, you got to kind of stick with it. You know, we talked mm-hmm. to the, a lot of people that first come into the gym about this. Um, you know, and we mentioned to them that, Hey, like the first week is definitely gonna be tough. You know, I'm not gonna, not gonna beat around the bush. So not gonna to speak. sugarcoat, that not gonna sugarcoat it, uh, you know, but if you just stick with it, like it will get better over time. Then what about... does it mean if I don't get sore? Oh, oh, oh yeah. So well, that could be one training age Two, uh, you're adapting to the stimulus that you're providing your body, mm-hmm. right? Which is a good thing. That means you're, you you're know, making, we you're want to adapt gains. to our training. Yeah. You know, we're getting, that's part of getting stronger is like getting better at the movements that we're performing. It could also mean that you just did a training session in which there was more concentric movements, oh. right? And well, and, and uh, that's kind of a good segue into this next part. Yeah. Are there certain training methods or modalities that create more or less soreness? Definitely there is. So like I was just mentioning concentric movements. Okay. So, well, quick definitions. Let's, let's provide some content. The eccentric portion of a movement is the one in which the muscle that typically the muscle that you are training is lengthening. Mm. Right. I think a good example is a pull up. Yes, so the eccentric would be going down. Yes. In a deadlift, the eccentric would be going down. In a, a squat, squat, the eccentric would be going down. So most most of the time, it's down uh, that is the eccentric, yep. generally. There's probably a few... Lat pull-downs on the way up. Yes, right. So it depends on where the, 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 load is the force from. is being yeah, produced from. Uh, then concentric is the shortening side of the movement usually. So it's the up, it's everything opposite of what we just said. Yeah, exactly. Up phase of a pull up, up phase of a deadlift, up phase of a squat. Yep. So there are some people that will do like concentric only deadlifts. And that actually can be a really good method for developing strength without, with basically needing less time to recover because you're not as sore. Mm. Right. I think like an example of this is we've done RDLs in the gym before in which you do like a four second negative. And pretty much every time we do that, people report to us that like their hamstrings are smoked, (laughs) you know, and that's why it's because we are placing an emphasis and a focus on the eccentric portion of the movement. Now, with that being said, the eccentric is one of the, I mean, all phases of the movement are important, but Eccentrics definitely are effective for developing strength, mm-hmm. right? As well as range of motion under load. Yep. But there's a cost to it, right? You get really, really sore. So it might like 
you know, it might impact Your how intensity. much, how much more time you need to recover. Yeah. So it's just something to think about. Um, other methods and modalities that will create more or less soreness, uh, new movements or new training phase, like we mentioned, and then volume. Volume yeah. will definitely create soreness. We are just coming out of a volume Thursday. Mm-hmm. With yeah. 10 by fours. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot of feedback about people's hamstrings this morning. Yes. As well, too. 10 by fours or four RDL, by tens. Four by tens. <laughs> just kidding we um, have this debate on we do how does it go Is sets it and sets reps, reps? Uh, yeah, yeah anyways yeah. that's a whole other um so yeah volume definitely will and like it's what we mentioned earlier when you're doing that there's cellular swelling there's also increase in in h ions mm-hmm. right and so it makes sense it lines up that that would create a lot of soreness So then things that you can do to try to mitigate this would just be really the biggest thing is just a slow progression into new training. So we, yeah, we talk to people a lot about this when they come in, they're like, Hey, I want to come in. I haven't trained in two years or whatever. I've never trained. I want to come in five days a week. Usually we'll tell people to pump the brakes and say, Hey, let's just start with three. And then you can add sessions over time. But you know, in our experience, three is consistent enough to make re- or produce results, but not so frequent that like you just get totally crushed to the point where you don't want to move, right? Yep. And and we said that, yes, you should continue to train even if you're sore, but it is really hard, especially when you're new to training, to get yourself like to, to push through that Agreed. kind of. So you want to try to reduce barriers to you going. So if that means you know, lighter load and lighter volume when you first start out, then I think that's a, that's a good approach. And with that, avoid the bullshit. Avoid the bullshit. Thank you again for listening to the P13 podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five star rating. This podcast was produced by Project 13 Gyms and a special thanks to Studio Pod Media for providing the studio space and additional production. Absolutely. You can find us on social media, on Instagram at Project 13 Gyms. You can find myself at Kemifan, that is K-E-M-I-F-A-N. How about you, Thomas? Where can they find you on your social media? You can find me at Conway Bunga, that's C-O-N-W-A-Y, B-U-N-G-A. You can also check us out at project13gyms.com. And if you're in the SF area, come train with us at Project 13 Gyms in Lower Knob Hill.